Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast, August 3rd edition, and I am your host, as always, James Lynch. And I know I've been off for a few weeks, but when I come back after a hiatus like this, I got to come back with a, a big guest, and we certainly have one here today. And uh, of course, I'm talking about a writer for MMA Fighting and The Ringer. He's also a panelist on the MMA Beat, the man with the hat, Chuck Mendenhall, joining me here on the program. Chuck, how are you? Good. How you doing, man? It's about Hi. time we did this. I know it's been it's been a while uh, since we've talked. Um, you know, I, I last saw you, I believe, UFC 223 in New York. Uh, briefly, uh, we we chatted there. Yeah. Um, but uh, I always start the show off with uh, how my guests and I met. And uh, you and I, I remember you came on my podcast years ago when I did the Parting Shot um, back when it was just an audio podcast. But I think I met you in Montreal for the Demetrius Johnson and uh, Horiguchi fight. Horiguchi, I remember you brought yeah. that card. Yeah, we were there at the weigh-ins. They did the weigh-ins, or they did like a Q and A. At some theater hall or something, George St. Pierre was there and Rory McDonald was there. Do you remember this? I do actually remember that. Uh, that was um, that was about as big as it gets that weekend, man. That card was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the card itself was uh, did, didn't do so well. No, but I know. Just, uh, just obviously the uh, the having Rory and George there, and I remember distinctly uh, at that Q and A how different it was, like seeing George go on and then seeing Rory, and it's like. God bless Rory, great fighter, but uh, he just didn't really captivate the crowd the way George did. It was kind of like showing the differences between the two, if you remember that. Oh, I do actually remember that. And uh, at the time, obviously, we were all anointing Rory McDonald as the next GSP in Canada, like the next big thing in Canada. So uh, I do actually remember that. It's funny that it's funny you kind of blend a lot of these events together, but... Uh, um, all it takes is one person with a good memory, and that would be you in this case, and it always kicks right <laughs> back in, man. For sure. Um, so let's start all the way at the beginning. Um, where did you uh, like, like? Where did your interest in sports first start? Where did it all begin? And uh, and and how soon after did MMA come on the radar? So, man, this is um, I've been I've been kind of writing in some form or another for twenty years now, man. I've been doing it actually a little bit even more than that. Even going back to my college days, I used to write. Uh, for the school paper, I always had a, an enjoyment of reading and, um, you know, communication in that sense and the written word and wanted to connect that way, the, the other way, which made me want to be a writer at some point along the way. But I didn't really start doing it until the college paper a little bit here and there. And then I took a couple years 
um, out of college basically to, um, you know, I was waiting tables, things like that. And then you realize like, maybe I should really um, give this thing a full, a full look and see if I can make anything of it. And uh, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and I started, I, I just started working at um, this place called LA Parent at the time. It was like a parenting place and I was just doing their little blurbs and stuff like that. And that led to a kind of internship um, at LA Weekly <laughs> and then the LA Weekly being like an alternative news weekly out there. Um, that was big at the time. They had a lot of great writers there at the time. And being around those people and everything kind of got me rolling. Um, I, I started, uh, I went through multiple departments there, basically. And I ended up proofreading and writing a lot about music, which is a, a very strange thing to think about now. But uh, I I went through that route, man. And there's, um, there, like I said, there were so many great writers. Manola Dargis from The Times was there, Greg Burke, um, Charles Rapley. There was... I mean, the names went on and on and on. Um, Jonathan Gold, who won the Pulitzer, just passed away. There, all these people are just in the building at all times, and you're you're seeing them. You got their energy. You're seeing how good they are as writers, and it really made me um, read in a different sense and want to write. Uh, want to kind of write in that sense as well, you know, like kind of be um, just bigger than I was doing. You know, I wanted to be. I didn't want to just be a journalist. I, at that point, you wanted to be a, more of a writer, and. Um, that kind of just parlayed, man, ultimately <laughs> into multiple other things. Long story short, I moved to New York at some point after maybe, I think I was at Daily Weekly for about four years, uh, all told, and uh, moved to New York, and I kind of freelanced doing a lot of music stuff, because that's where I kind of had my, my um, you know, a little bit of a, door, a foot in the door. So I was doing um, stuff for Blender Magazine, which was a yep. kind of, kind of pre, like it was, Internet, it was almost like the internet now, but it was in a, it was a magazine form. It was kind of cool. I did some stuff for Rolling Stone, um, just all over the place. And I saw, I kind of started to feel like I was catching momentum. Entertainment Weekly, I was writing some rap reviews for, which was really funny cool. to think back on to now. Basically, that got me used to dealing with editors, honestly, like diff different kinds of editors, different kinds of expectations. And from there, man, tell me if I'm getting too long-winded as well. No, like, no, no. Uh, it was... Be as long-winded as, as you want. Uh, whatever you got to say, you got to say. So I'm, I'm willing to listen because this is interesting to me because, you know, the traditional path of the MMA journalist yeah. is, is definitely not this one, but that, that's what makes it so cool. 100%. And I feel like most people, um, especially in our game, especially in mixed martial arts, came from very strange backgrounds because, uh, you know, it's kind of like the light and all the moths kind of <laughs> flew yeah. to it when, when, they, when it started to boom. But that was kind of the way it worked for me. I, I freelanced, and then at some point, um, I got a, a job offer to return to California and edit, be the editor-in-chief of a of another uh, alternative news weekly called the IE Weekly, which is the Inland Empire Weekly. It covers Riverside and San Bernardino Valley and, you know, et cetera, like that big expanse of um, inland Los Angeles, you know, all the way to the border, basically. And so I... Um, I took that, went back out there, and that was actually where um, I feel like I did my, you know, that's where I really, really took hold on what, in, in the writing sense, because we didn't have a huge budget, man. I had some good writers there, but uh, that I was uh, overseeing, and uh, we, we were putting out the paper, and it was it was a good product, man, considering, you know, it was uh, it was very good, but I was, uh, I would end up writing, I don't know, a dozen things in that thing, just to fill page space, so I'm doing everything, movie reviews, uh you know, et cetera, like everything, you know, culture stories, interviewing, you know, tattoo artists, things like that, just people all around. 
and uh, just writing and writing and writing. And then when I was done with that, I'd be editing and putting the paper together and, you know, going through that whole process. So I was kind of wearing all hats, pardon my pun. I was doing everything there. And uh, eventually, man, so it was it was there that Dan Henderson and Quentin Jackson were both in the area. And that was right before, I think it was UFC 77. I'd been a peripheral fan, essentially. Um, you know, I'd been, I, I would call myself a casual fan, but I certainly was not a diehard fan back then. I'd, uh, I knew that they were going to fight. I knew they were basically, you know, maybe 50 miles from each other. And uh, Temecula being part of our coverage area, I, uh, I started writing about Dan Henderson a little bit, just kind of given like a sense. I thought fighting is kind of a cultural event, more so, like sporting and cultural. I was like, it's kind of both things. So it was perfect for our paper. And so I just did some blurbs and stuff. And um, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. You know, it was like uh, writing about fighting and, and paying attention to it on a level. I started to uh, I started to really dig that. But I didn't think anything about segueing into, um, you know, that kind of writing at all. Um, but basically, Dan Henderson's next fight was against Anderson Silva at UFC 82. And then that one, I went more full on. I was like, let's do a whole lead up. Let's do a cover story on him. Let's do all this stuff. So we did like this lead up for Dan Henderson. I visited him in Big Bear. I went to Temecula um, and just kind of did a weekly type journal that would run in this uh, in this culture section of the paper. And I ended up like, so for the cover part, I was like, let's let's do it in reverse like i'm going to go to the event and then we'll write about it as an experience coming out of it so i went to the event in columbus um hung out with him there i did this kind of it was like my first big in-depth profile piece on a on a fighter like that and um i loved it man like I, being there and seeing that event and uh you know being part of dan's camp and uh meeting anderson silva's camp at the time and just you know seeing the kind of respect but sort of the seething hatred underneath it all and I realized at that point, man, and even before then, but I certainly, I grew up, I should, I should point out, I grew up reading all the great boxing chroniclers and all the great sports writers and things like that. I did read a lot of that stuff. So th this, this was, had long been in my head to, to maybe figure out a path to writing about sports, but I didn't really want to write about football or baseball as much. It just, you know, it, it was too inundated. The market was too inundated. And I was like, Fighting was just coming up at this point. It was really at that moment where it was really taking off. So th all that in consideration for context, I uh, I did that piece. I did a cover story. It was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of people saw it, including our friend Thomas Gerbezi over at UFC.com. Nice. And if I, I don't remember if I sent it to him now or if somehow he just saw it. But at, at any rate, um, we talked and he was like, would you, you want to write a couple things for the site over there? And I was I was still editing the paper, so I was uh, I was like, sure, you know, why not? Uh, just talk to some fighters and do little profiles, you know, kind of innocent through the whole process of the UFC, honestly, of how the UFC is ran and um, you know everything that kind of goes on at the UFC at the time. But it, that was kind of the the first thing I did. The Dan Henderson thing did a couple things for uh, for Gervasi at UFC.com. I bought, I probably did that for about six months, maybe, and then uh, Fight Magazine was rolling at the time and. Multiple other things, but Fight Magazine, there's a couple of weird, like there was a magazine that was going to start in New York that had talked to me about editing that. And I was really excited about that because I was like, well, if I'm going to leave, uh, maybe I'd want to be an editor at a an MMA magazine and, and oversee it. And it, they, they, I think they were going to call it MMA Rage or MMA Cage. I don't remember now. But <laughs> um, it was um, it was the same people who put out Slam Magazine. Uh, it was It was a big... 
a big outfit. And so they had, like, I visited them in New York. Their first thing they wanted was a Brock Lesnar cover. And so I flew out, hung out with Brock Lesnar in uh, Alexandria, uh, Minnesota at the time where he lived, put the piece together. But when I came back and I was writing it, I realized they weren't going to launch. It was like, you know how it is in the, our industry. It's like one, yeah. one thing here one day and next thing it's gone. So that piece I placed in Fight Magazine instead. I sold it to Fight Magazine. And uh, that was really where <laughs> then it really started to take off because the next thing I know, um, I guess they dug it enough where they were like, hey, why don't you do a cover story for us? And then, you know, and then pretty soon I'm doing like basically every other cover story for them. I was doing cover stories for them. I've been folks. There was a lot of people at the time who were writing for that magazine. So it was kind of a, it was a known, if you recall, it was kind of known for, it had some good voices in there. So I, um, I started doing a lot of cover stories for them. And through this process, I had, you know, as that process started going, at some point I quit IE Weekly. I said, I'm going to, you know, give the whole, I'm going to give MMA a try because I knew I could make it freelancing. I was like, let's do it, man. I, I've always loved sports. I love fighting. I realized how much, uh, how, how many charms it had to cough up, you know, I was, and so why not try it? I went through that process. Um, I was writing a lot for Fight Magazine. I was doing multiple other stuff and I moved back to the East Coast to Connecticut and coincidentally it wasn't strictly because of espn but i was close to espn and um i had been in touch with the the, the editor at the time darius ortiz and basically it was coincidence in terms of espn was just about to launch basically an mma um presence on its site so i was there right when they did that i kind of coincided it to be there while they did that so i was a part of that jake rosson at the time was they were just calling off of the sure dog um the sure dog content and so they were bringing on bringing on actual guys they saw at mma live at the time uh with franklin mcneil and uh, john anik and all those guys but um but i came in there and i was like i just want to i want to write though i want to write i want to do i'm going to do if i'm doing blogs if you're going to call them blogs they're going to be little bursts of literary madness i'm going to like try to put <laughs> stuff like this in there and i uh i kind of i kind of did that honestly they, they really let me do that stuff um you know, so I started working at ESPN essentially from 2010 all the way to 2013, and this is just the you know this is it's a long, 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 crazy journey. You know what I mean? But I, I was able to do that ESPN. They right when um, ESPN's involvement was never and it's nowhere near what it is now. But it was um, it was just starting. We we're giving it a presence. I thought it was a lot of fun. There was Chad Dundas was there, um, Josh Gross, Brett Okamoto. We were, it was a good team. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I contributed to that thing daily. I did the rankings. I did the MMA MMA Live, you know, the show there. Um, and then I did stuff for the magazine. 2013 MMA Fighting. Uh, I think Chiapetta bolted for Fox, and they just approached me. This was kind of right in the moment when ESPN had a waning interest in MMA. So it was kind of uh, <laughs> ebb and flow, just like everything in the sport. And I just signed up in 2013 with MMA Fighting. And basically, in a nutshell that's where I've been the last five years. So, um, and then the ringer came along, um, you know, when it, whenever it launched in June, I think of 2016. And I, I was the very first guy to run, uh, any freelance piece, you know, like I was, I, w I wasn't a staffer. So it was like, I was the very first freelance piece on the site because of the Michael Bisping piece I did right before he, um, upset Rockhold. And so, man, it's just been a lot of weird coincidences, uh, certain, you know, certain leap in a net will appear type mentality things where you just do these things. And eventually um, I ended up here 
Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just uh, that's kind of how it has worked, man. But it's been fun. I've been I've been very dedicated to the written word through it all. I know I do like uh, I, I, you know I've done multiple video things and all that but uh, the written word was always where it was like the the golden center of it all and that's really what gets me going man so i've kept that centric to it i put my effort into that and uh that's basically how i got here yeah and and i think anyone that's watching this knows you for your written work i think uh you know it's it there, there's still great writers out there like yourself like sean al shoddy like Dwayne finley that are doing the long forms and there's still uh you know an interest in that there's so much to unpack what you said there um i wanted to actually go back <laughs> like all the way back to the beginning because i'm actually curious about this um did you do any schooling like you didn't mention any university or anything did you just go hard, school of hard knocks or did you actually go no, to no. university i did go to it was metropolitan state university which is in denver colorado uh, okay. that's where i grew up and uh, i was so I went to the I went there and that's I wrote for the paper called the Metropolitan. <laughs> so it was like a, uh, you know, it was just a. so I did I kind of did a little bit of everything there um, from I, I covered like uh, a lot of their sports, but I also did music. I, that's where I did first wrote about music. They would be the odd CD review, the odd, you know, somebody's playing. Do you want to go check it out and write something about it or do you want to preview something like that? So I was just picking up whatever they threw at me, man. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. I look back on those. Actually, I saved a couple of those and I was looking back and I it's it's funny to look back on anything you wrote a long time ago because you see yourself groping in the dark for um, <laughs> to be a writer that maybe that you you're reading at the time. You're trying to call too many elements into what you want to do. And you just see a person who has no idea what they're doing in the end. But uh, you have to go through those learning experiences, man, to kind of to really understand what you're, you know, how to get good at it. You know, when you were a music writer, was it like almost famous? Like, did you have groupies and things like that? <laughs> just, just going along? Or like, like, what was that like? Like getting to, you know, go check out shows and stuff? No. And I did do that's one thing I did do a lot of from maybe, you know, through into the early 2000s, man, I saw so many acts. I had stacks and stuff. At the time, CDs were still around. I had, I had when I lived in New York City, I had to have a, um, you know, a, a post box so I could go get my mail because I they couldn't deliver all the mail I would get to my little apartment, man. So I would, uh, I would bring, you know, those little mail bins. I would bring yeah. those mail bins like every Wednesday or something like that. I'd go get everything that was sent me. And it would always be a whole bin of music. There was no way to listen to all of it. Um, <laughs> But it was inter- it was it was really interesting. I you know I um, developed many relationships. I got to know just about every genre of music, and I will say this: I was never a natural music guy. Like you read, you know, I used to love Lester Bangs, and you you, know, you wanted to you wanted to think, well, if I'm going to write about music, I'm going to invent language. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do these things. You realize how much context, and it's almost. Um, um, intuitive context those guys the really good music writers have they have to kind of know almost a spiritual root of what this band is trying to accomplish through their influences and in the canon of what's exists now there's so much that goes into that that uh i never had a um an organized brain to put together really good i did some decent work in music but i uh i certainly wasn't um you know i was not going to be another lester bangs um, but I knew I could be a Lester Bangs in writing and, uh, in fighting, I should say in fighting. I knew I could be a Lester Bangs. Um, I could, I could do that in fighting because, um, it was afforded to me and sports came very natural to me. Events speak to me. Like you go to an event, um, there, you know, the, I see the poetry within what's happening in an event. I see a, two, a, two guys fighting. There's pretty much an endless, 
um, an endless amount of angle play you can go into something like that. You can you can choose to do anything with a fight. So I was really you know that's sports in general have been very easy for me to retain everything I know and I have a huge context for sports like everything that went back historically. But I didn't have that for music, so it was always a little bit of a fish out of water. I think I did okay, but I was never I was never what I consider um, very good at it. You know what I mean? But I think being in that situation too, you learned how to adapt to that situation. And in some ways, in MMA, you have to do that when you're dealing with specific fighters too. So, did you feel like having that background yeah. kind of kind of paid dividends in this industry? Oh man, mostly because you struggle. You know, you struggle. Yeah. Um, you struggle. You struggle with style. You struggle. I, you know, really, it's nuance of uh, the nuances of being a writer more so than um, anything else. But it all plays into, in the end, your experience of what you do now. Like everything I had to go through to get into, you know, fighting, and uh, you know, kind of chronicling the fight game, you know, was. Um, it all teaches you something, man. I mean, you're like every single aspect of it. How to approach a bigger story. You know, how to how to outline a story because just, just things like that. What, you know, if you're writing a long form and you want to say, like, hey, I, start with the spirit of the piece, you know, extract the very essence of what you want to be able to accomplish in the piece. And if you kind of do that, you adhere to it. Um, everything kind of then goes around it. You know, it all revolves around whatever the spirit of the piece is going to be. And um, I think all of that came from just those early days, man, like just kind of picking up whatever and you you understood you could distinguish very easily the things you cared about the things you didn't um the things you couldn't do well and the things you could like but also just understanding your own process how to write you know how to sit down and write a story how to how not to be intimidated by a blank page you know what i mean and um yeah. and how to tackle it so i think that all of that stuff I struggled, you know, you struggle in certain things and then uh, it becomes that much. It just, it all, you pack it all in, you know how to like kind of flip through the things in your mind to say like, all right, here's what you do, you know, and you figure those things out better. So more like that, more in an esoteric sense and in a broader sense, I think that, uh, you know, it all, it all comes into play now. Did you read a lot of books as a kid? I know uh, even now, uh, you know, you still need to be up on, you know, how to articulate things. And a lot of that comes with reading. And, you know, we don't see a lot of people read these days. Uh, was that a big part of your childhood, you know, growing into everything else? I wish I had read more, honestly, man. Like I look back on it, and you, you think through your like formative years. You're, you're, uh, if you're reading um, stuff rather than you know you know watching too much TV and things like that, I would have loved to have. Um, there's so many books out there I still haven't read. Let's put it that way. And, and it's a good uh, it's a good thing to to have that you think at some point you should read them. Like there's this nagging you should you should read these books, you know. And so. The books I haven't read, I've obviously, I have a stack, uh, you know, I have stacks and stacks. Look, I'll even show you. Look at this. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, like wow. All these, well, I mean, all those, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of books and a lot of the, those little stacks, these are just my office, but those little stacks are just books. The one stack over there is books that I've just read. There's another stack of books that um, are, are meant to be read. So I kind of do this. I like stacking them up. There was an old Blaze and Drawers um picture where he's standing there he's got one arm from the after losing one in the war and he's got like some uh like a schnifter a schnifter of cognac and he's like these stacks of books and he's taking a drink and i always thought that was cool you know to <laughs> to be surrounded by books like that so uh of course i like it man i like being surrounded by them i like reading them um and i to answer your question i wish i had read more i did read books you know growing up but i didn't really get really heavily into reading books until i was a late teenager man i mean and um i kind of that's one of the regrets i wish i'd started earlier because there's just there are a lot of good books out there man but there's only so much time you can read them in so um 
Um, but I've been reading since then, you know, faithfully, you know what I mean? So um, I feel fairly well read at this point. Yeah. And I think we can see that in your work, you know, just very articulate, very detailed. And I think that comes with a lot of reading. I know uh, Kareem Zidane uh, is a good friend of mine. He preaches, you know, read as much as you can if you're a writer. Yeah. And I think that's very, uh, very important. Um, you talk a little bit about, you know, going to university and everything like that. Uh, what about mentors? Who were some of the people early on that really uh, you, you went to for advice or, you know, maybe had, uh, you know, had a look at your work? Uh, was there anyone that stands out? You know, to be completely honest, we were talking about the unorthodox way that this all happened. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, not really. Okay. You know, it's like, it's, well, you know, cause, um, maybe it's because I would find myself, um, falling into weird situations or, uh, pursuing weird situations where maybe you were not, you know, so, sort of unsolicited, you know, to an extent, um, they didn't feel compelled, but even at the LA weekly, for instance, and like I told you, there, there was an all-star cast of people over there, um, uh, those people were kind of, you know, most of those writers were established and a lot of them were kind of to themselves, you know, even the editors were, they had their favorites and they weren't really that open to new enterprise. And I felt like I dealt with that a lot. And then there were a lot of people who, um, you know, just through the process, I dealt with multiple editors who, um, I don't think that they were necessary. Maybe it's because I was starting too big in some ways with some of those magazines, but I don't think they were into the nurturing process too much you know i think that they were they were kind of like hey uh you know if this thing you know they if they were going to change them or edit it i i early on i certainly wasn't even a part of some of the edits and that is no way obviously for a writer to learn i i would say that for the most part i've um not hated but i would say that i have uh ha held a certain amount of disdain for most editors i've dealt with <laughs> coming up coming up but uh, at some point along the way, man, like, I believe it all, it, it helped me anyway. Like, so in a, in a strange way, just experience and, uh, you, you know, just dealing with mul multiple editors and not really, honestly, none of them in the early days, especially through the LA Weekly and through the, uh, the glossy magazines out in New York, I just didn't feel like any of them were, would take the time to, um, to nurture. So in a, in a weird way, it taught me when I became an editor how to better handle myself, you know, as an editor, as a writer, and how to how to deal with my, you know, the situations uh, as they were, and how to kind of nurture writers around me, you know, like people who asking me for advice, I take the time, I'll explain it, you know, I'll talk to them about my experience, and I will try to figure out what they're doing and help them with their piece, you know, or whatever they're doing. Um, I just, I didn't have a lot of that, to be honest. So, uh, it's kind of a it's a weird weird thing. I know a lot of people they swear by an editor, they get a great editor. And I like, stick by those guys. I, I'm always envious when I hear those people because I honestly have never uh, I've never been in that situation. And you get into our day and age now. I've got good editor. I've got good people around me, but uh, we uh, people are just so busy, man. They're so busy yeah. and inundated with stuff. If you're not if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to be nurtured now. So and I don't not that I'm asking for it, but I'm talking about even the young writers now. So. All the editors I have now, it's more mind-boggling how much they have to juggle on a daily basis. And I certainly don't think that the editors of today, you know, MMA Fighting, Ringer, you know, people like that, are going to necessarily have a ton of time to want, you know, to uh, to bring people up. So um, it's it's a tough game, man. It's a tough game, but uh, I, I think you stick with it. Like, you're, like Kareem was telling you, man, you stick with it. You read a lot. If you read a lot, you learn that you can write better, you know, and I think yeah. that that becomes your ultimate – that becomes your ultimate um, – compass on how to do it you know what about now i mean i know you don't have mentors but i'm sure are, are there people that you speak with whether it's editors that uh you know you kind of bounce ideas off of when you're writing like a long form or anything like that is there anyone like that 
Oh, sure, man. I mean, um, most, I mean, anything that goes through the ringer, it's a pitch process still, you know, you pitch it, I, you know, my guy over there and, um, you know, a lot of times he'll take it, he'll run up the flagpole with the, the true decision makers, which sometimes is Bill Simmons or sometimes it's uh, Sean Fennessy, the editor in chief. So it goes all the way up to, to that rank. You know, it's like, uh, Anything I do for them is basically a pitch by pitch basis, uh, okay. but they're very good about you know they know they know what I can do. So that most cases they're like yeah if you think you can do it just do it. It's a, it's a very simple process with MMA fighting, and it's been a little bit since I've done like a long form. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it. I'll be talking to because you have to coordinate a lot of times too getting uh, photographers and if they want video of anything like if you're trying to truly make an interactive experience you got to kind of coordinate all those elements and then sometimes there's travel involved and all that stuff so it's a process where uh, uh I'll, I'll throw an idea out there and see if you can get it like can you get access to so-and-so and if i can if i believe i can you know you go through the process of um talking to uh you know the editor and seeing if he'll approve it you know and if he does that then it becomes okay what's the next step and from there you know you go on and on um so i mean it's um it's still a process man but i will say that it's harder and harder in these days to write a a long form piece for one you know <laughs> you see the model man there's just work everybody's cranking out material now and uh you know there is a big influence on video there's you know it, i think people are going more to video and they are going to more quick hit stuff, um, trying to extract smart from, you know, to, to give like smart, smart things in small bursts rather than these long, thoughtful pieces. Long form still exists though. I just think that, you know, and it still thrives, honestly. Uh, there's been so many good pieces um, of late that I've read. They're just really good stuff, but um, it's tough to say, hey, I want to be out of commission to write something long form uh, because they, you can't just throw them together, man. You know, you got to spend some time on them. So, realistically i think the big hurdle now is justifying writing a long form you know mm -hmm. and i hate that it's that way but i think that that's really how it's gotten you have to kind of justify um writing something longer and but but ultimately man that's where you just that's where you distinguish yourself that's where you truly um that's where you show that what you can truly do when you have to take a lot of elements and make something out of it and um i've enjoyed that but it uh, i haven't tried it in a while only because um there's a billion other things going on at once and you know every every day there's something to be writing or doing and it's just uh you know you read some people like for the new yorker for instance or the new york times uh, and you realize yes they might be concurrently working on multiple stories but they get maybe a six month window a lot of times to write a single story you know and i'm like that's unheard of in the mma space so uh <laughs> that's yeah, not going to be true. happening in time soon yeah no. I agree. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, what it took to, to get to where you are now and everything like that. I know a lot of times you have your salad years, as I like to call them, you know, you can basically make enough to afford a salad. Um, what are some of the jobs you referenced some of them there, but what were some of the jobs you were doing uh, before you were doing this full time, like to, to pay the bills and everything, keep the lights on? Uh, let's see. Well, waiting tables was definitely one of bartending, like a more restaurant industry. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Stuff, man. Um, that was pretty much that. Was, I would say that that was the bulk of it. I, I certainly had some other weird little odd jobs, you know, construction, like early on, like doing construction work and things like that. But uh, that's pretty much it. Um, since I've been, you know, since I like going back to when we discussed, as soon, as soon as I realized I wanted to write and be around that atmosphere, basically, um, I pretty much adhered to that. But I've I've worked there. I worked at the airport at one point. Um, <laughs> as a rampage, you know, marshalling in airplanes and all that stuff. Uh, that, oh, wow. That was okay. kind of fun. Yeah, back in the day, that was a lot of fun. Um, and got flight benefits and all that stuff. But uh, that's about it, man. I mean, okay. they're probably little little things, but nothing serious. I think, I'd say the bulk of the experience was like in restaurant work, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. You do all types of jobs just to just to make it work, as they say. Yeah. Um, you're a family man now. Uh, how was that? You know, going through this whole process, uh, trying to have a social life and balance everything because you're working weird hours. You know, you're up late, you're up early, whatever. Uh, and and again, you're working a lot because, like you said, you have the you know the day job, and then you're doing all this stuff on the side as well before you get the full time job. Yeah, I mean. It's a uh, you know, there's so much that goes into it, honestly, because um, I work from home too. And I have worked from home for a while. Like I haven't, you know, I go into them. I go into New York City once a week for the MMA beat. And then you travel occasionally to the shows. I travel a lot less than I used to, which I, I actually, um, I've come, at first I was a little bit bothered by it. I wanted to be on the road more, but now I'm sort of like, ah, eh, this is perfect for me to, um, to only go out on big shows type thing. Um, but when I was traveling a lot, you miss, I mean, it's tough, man. It's tough. I don't know, you know, I know guys like John Morgan, um, you know, he's a, he's a father and you see his travel schedule and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know how he does it, man. I'm like, uh, and John Anik too, John Anik, and he always talks about like leaving his, uh, his family and um, going to these far off corners of the world, you know, like Perth and down to South America multiple times, you know, a year. A lot of travel, man, and I, I, I'm not sure how those guys do it. I, I don't think I could personally do that, but um, working from home obviously has its challenge. It's it's challenging, especially during the summer because now you know it's you know the kids are home, <laughs> so you got to kind of keep them busy. You got to keep them busy, and you got to um, you know you got to you got to keep yourself rolling along. And so uh, I, I honestly, man, I it's almost like a natural. Com- compartmentalization process with how to do it. Like you, you realize you got to be very efficient when you sit down at your computer. So a lot of times my mornings being the best time for me to write, I get up, uh, write the piece I have to, especially if it's a column or something that's an opinion, um, write that, get it out of the way and then kind of deal with, you know, what's going on in the household. And then maybe later on return and do whatever else you got to do, you know? And so I kind of break it up a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm really honestly, man, I'm thankful for that. I'm able to do that. Um, yeah. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people, I can't imagine if I was going into an office every day, like how that would work. I don't, I was never cut out for that sort of thing, but I have done it in my life when I was editing uh, the papers and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately I'm, I'm happy with my, it's, it's nice to be able to be at home and, and have the chance to juggle all this. So I'm always thankful for that, man, rather than, um, just missing out on everything that goes on with your family. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. How early are you up? You strike me as like a 5am guy. (laughs) No, no. 
5 a.m. going to sleep sometimes from uh, now drinking. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a really that I'm not much of a morning person, but if I know I like, you know, if I know I'm writing a column, uh, I get up early and I will, I'll write the column. I just find that it's, it's better to wake up and whatever you put on your brain, you know, before you went to bed, it's ready to come out in whatever way it's going to. Um, so I, uh, I get up early if I know I've got to write something, but ultimately, um, not not too early. It's not like a 5 a.m. is too early. I, you know, maybe 6, 30, 7 o'clock type of guy to get up to write a piece. It just depends, too, on, like, especially if it's MMA fighting, you know, when they want to run it. If they want to run something at 9 a.m., obviously I'm up very early writing it. If they if it's not going until 11, you could sleep a little longer and then get up and, and write it. So it's just all, you know, how it is, man. Like, it, it's all just circumstantial on that. You seem universally liked in this industry, and that's tough to do. Uh, you know, we see a lot of people, whether, you know, you give any sort of opinion. I mean, you know, your colleague there, Luke Thomas, is a prime example, you know, very opinionated <laughs> and, and gets, gets you know, a bit of both. You know, people really like his opinions. Other people don't. How have you been able to navigate through that, especially with social media and everything? Do, do you get people giving negative comments? Because I don't think I've ever seen anyone complain about any anything you've wow, ever done. really? Yeah, I've never I mean, seen anybody I mean, complain to me. No, Crazy. I, I just... Yeah, I just, I just, I've never, I've never really seen it, like compared to some of the other guys that you see out there, you know? I know what you mean by that, though. Um, you know, I've actually thought about that. And then, you know, you go into another, you go into another, uh, you know, mode of thinking, which is, am I playing it too middle of the road? Am I not really expressing true opinion? Like, you go through this process of like, maybe, maybe I need to be, not that I'm necessarily, um, trying to have people hate me, you know, or love me. I really stay, to be completely honest, man, I think that part of my, something I learned early on was just to stay very even keel about things. So, so there, there have been times, you haven't seen it, but there have been plenty of times where people have come at me uh, for various reasons and behind the scenes too, uh, you know, fighters, managers, whatever it is. And I can't really, I, I guess I try not to let that affect me. Just like if you write a good piece and you're, you're hearing nothing but glowing things about it, I uh, I try not to let that affect me. I just try to do keep each each thing you do is completely unique to what you're doing. You want to do it the best you can, and I don't. I just block out all the other stuff. Now, if you're talking about um, just dealing with people on social media and stuff like that, basically, I just honestly restraint. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it comes down to restraint because uh, some people can't help themselves. I think honestly, when people are coming at them to go back at you know to go back to those people, a lot of times. My natural instinct is either to, and there's plenty of times I've been mad, I fired off, you know, whatever I'm going to fire off at them. But there's a lot of times uh, there's a there's a peacemaker in me, or there's a there's just a sound logical thing that's like we're human beings. Why why you know why why are we going to have this um, this ridiculous um, hateful kind of exchange? And you try to change that. You try to change the tone of it. Um, I've consciously been like that. Social media has been a it's been as cool as it can be like the one of the coolest things that have come and it's also been the most soul-sucking you know crazy (laughs) invention ever man i mean and it's it's literally you know sometimes you're looking at through your fingers type thing and i i just tried honestly man i don't want to i never wanted to be a guy who's just on there causing trouble and um I'd also get, you know, I don't want to be on there throwing my opinions around on every single thing that happens. I, I just think restraint, to be honest with you, man. Like if you're, if I think of a word, I would say that um, having the restraint to not overdo it on there. You know what I mean? So yeah. if I am loved, man, if, if if that's true, and I honestly, it's very difficult to gauge sometimes as how, how things work in this industry or any, any, what you, when you're out in the world like that, um, that's good to know. 
<laughs> that's right. good to know, man. Because I, um, I all really you you want the respect of your you know your colleagues and and I've been an early you know I was an early advocate of MMA in terms of all the people around it and embracing the people who are because we all built this game. You know, we all built the media and the game around it uh, together, and I feel like I don't forget that, man. I know who I know most guys in the media and kind of their what they've done individually to take it to where it is. Yourself included, man. You've done great work with all this stuff, and um, well, I try you. to let people know. I try to let people know, man. Honestly, I try to let them know and uh, and and push it. You know, help help push it. Show, like a lot of times, if I know I'm doing something good, I hope that it helps other people see that it's good that they want to push themselves to do something better. You know what I mean? So yeah, I feel like that's part of it. Well, I was just going to say, and I think that's the positive side of social media. There is there is a group. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of people who are you know going to help each other out. I've gotten interviews because people have helped me out, or vice versa. You know, I, I'm a big believer, and and myself as well. You know, giving back. I think that's important too. Where you know, if you get to, if, if you keep working, I think if, you know what you put out there, you're going to get back in return, right? Whatever that is, whatever spiritual yeah. thing you want to call that. Uh, you know, that 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 is what it is. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, People have obviously seen you on the MMA beat all the time. Um, what was that like when you first got that call to, to be on camera? Because I know you, you said <laughs> it right there when we were talking about MMA Live. You just want to stick to writing, yeah. but you're, you're, you know, you're very strong on air. And I believe that uh, you know, you're very, uh, like I said, universally liked in that regard. How was that transition just you know, getting to be on camera and doing it all the time? It was weird, man, because you know, growing up when I did, you, you were right. If you were trying to be a writer and I'm not, I'm not that old. It's just, it's happened in my life. It's just happened in our lifetime. It's happened in this thing where if you're not wearing, if you can't do multiple things, maybe you're not as valuable to any you know employer as the other guy. And I think that at some point, you know, you better know how to do a little bit of lots of things, you know? And, uh, I kind of honestly looked at it like that. Um, some people really, really herald being on TV or, um, being in these, I don't, man. I really don't. I, I for the most part, I didn't want nothing to do with it. But um, as as things went on, especially when I went to ESPN, I knew obviously, like if you're at ESPN, there's a likelihood they're going to have you know. I'm in Connecticut. There's a likelihood they're going to have you come in and sit before a camera at some point and uh, and do this stuff. Fortunately for me, they kind of did it slowly, um, where I was going in for like little web hits, um, just dissecting fights or whatever it was what they call it? Like, it was like MMA live, like extra or something weird like that. Yeah. Just these little five minute, you know, if it was that like three minute type things, I did some of those and I, you know, it was fairly painless. I had done, let me just put it this way. That, that wasn't my first forays into television or being on screen. I had done that stuff um, for years here and there, but I'd turned down a lot of that stuff too. Um, I remember at, when I was at IE weekly, uh, um, was it no? Is it no reservations or what was the what was the first Bourdain show? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh like, uh, yeah, I believe yeah. I, no I, reservations. I, I think so. Yeah, they had called up because uh, I was the editor over there. They called up and they wanted to do you know the, he would always have people on the show to basically um, show them around on some on some level and kind of give them a little bit of a content, contextual history of the area. And they wanted to do that. I.e. week and they called me and I remember thinking like ah it's not it's not for me it's not that's not who I you know. So just to give you an idea, like I think a lot of people would have completely jumped at the situation to go do that. But I um, I wasn't really like that. But I had done plenty. I'd done plenty of radio things, et cetera. Um, I've been in the, you know, it's it's not really a public. It was not like I'm afraid to speak in public, you know, or things like that or talk. You know, I'm not afraid to uh, look like a moron or any of that stuff. So 
It's just more I don't prefer it. I just want to be known as a writer. So, you know, when at ESPN, I knew that that process was probably going to happen. I did it a few times. It didn't really, it was fairly, they, you know, it's you're working with uh, pros and it was kind of um, harmless. And so when they, as the show uh, MMA Live came back and they were starting a new iteration, um, they were like, hey, you're right here, you know, um, would you want to be like a regular talking head on the show? And, you know, I talked to them about that and, you know, they had Pat Militich involved and they had Jorge Rivera come in. And I, I just, I remember like it was, it, it, you'd be stupid to pass it up, man. I mean, and besides that, it just, I, I think that you, like I told you, you kind of have to do this stuff. I felt like it was just, it's an obligation, but it's also, so it's an obligation that you have to look at as like, it's fun, you know? And yeah. um, so I just started to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't too hard for me, to be honest, man. Like, um, because I've watched ESPN my whole life and I've watched shows like, you know, even the MMA beat, you know, the sports reporters basically did that, that template, you know, it's, you watch guys communicate in a panel discussion, you kind of know what you're doing. You try to add your own little flares to it and stuff like that. But ultimately I don't lose much sleep about it, man. I just kind of show up and make sure I'm informed enough to, uh, to hang in those situations and to insider enough, I guess when I was at ESPN insider enough to offer a little bit of, you know, um, true insight into what was happening in the into the realm that we were talking you know what I mean so um, it's been fun honestly now nowadays I don't really think as much about it but I always protect the idea that I'm a writer first yeah I actually I remember first ever like seeing any of your stuff on ESPN and I, I can't remember if I told you this or not but I used to work at TSN here in Canada uh, which is the yeah, Canadian yeah, ESPN and uh, and so we used to have to put MMA live on our site we actually used to have to get the videos and bring them up so I like I remember oh, like Anik being on there and stuff so it's kind of interesting that you're, you're bringing all this up just because I remember yeah. having to I was like I was the only guy in the digital team at the time who was like cared at all about MMA so anytime we get any sort of content I was like yeah Let's get it on here you know so it was uh, it was it, it was, was it was fun. It was fun back then, especially because well, we're talking about maybe 2011 when um, I want to say it was 2011, maybe when that show was running. Um, yeah. We were still in the period when there was a lot of holdover diehards who believed that they were the superior knowledge of the sport. So anything <laughs> that you might trip up on, they were sure to tell you they were going to call you a noob and they were going to like, you know, so it's like anything that you got wrong or any piece of history that you might um, have been unfamiliar with. Oh, you when did you start following the sport during tough one? You know, it was like you had, I had to deal with that immensely back then, man. Like people just all the time. And I'm like, the truth of the matter was a lot of us, including Brett Okamoto, um, including John Anik, we're not following the sport like, like those diehards were um, all the way back to 1993, you know? Yeah. Um, I certainly knew of the sport. I didn't know every detail of its history and I didn't start watching, you know, I wasn't watching every event. I was certainly watching the Chuck Liddell, you know, Tito Ortiz and that sort of stuff, but I wasn't watching every event, man. So there was a process of going back and making sure you understood the history of the sport. And um, I've done that in so many ways now. I feel like I, I feel like I've, you know, known the sport the whole way because you've had to, you've had to revisit everything so much. But I remember you were talking about the TV side of it. That was kind of just a general fear, I think, for anybody at ESPN at the time. Chad Dundas, too. I remember just all these guys. I think there was a little bit of like a – because Josh Gross knew a lot, and he was there. It was a little intimidating going on his podcast or something like that because you'd be like, he may strike into something that you just don't know enough right. about. <laughs> and he's going to expose your stupid, you know, you have no background. You know, like you're always worried about that sort of thing. And um, I think that that was just kind of a low flame fear at the back of everything back then. If I were, you know, yeah. and um, obviously I don't, I don't really – the sport has changed so much and so many people are into it and there's a collective idea and there's so many different evolutions 
And the history itself um, has blossomed and, and, you know, evolved in so many ways that I don't really worry about that anymore, man. But I remember back then that being a big deal. How long is that drive from Connecticut to New York? I've always wondered that. So I, I, uh, I generally don't, um, I drive to a train station, which is about, uh, 25 minutes where I'm at. And then it's about an hour from where I come from. It's about maybe an hour and a half all told like, so, and we switched offices. Now we're down, um, down near battery park, like, uh, you know, down, down in that area of Manhattan. So I have to take a subway once I'm there. So all told now it's a little over maybe two hours, maybe two hours to two hours and 15 minutes. And then, uh, and then I'm there. So it's it's a little bit of a commute on the Thursdays, but not bad, man. I mean, it, when it was beforehand, it, we used to do it over, uh, and it was more in uh, Midtown. So you'd show up at Grand Central, and Jeff Wagenheim and I, a lot of times, Wags would take the train in with me, and we'd just walk over there. And it was very, very simple, but um, there's that extra layer now. But it's not bad. Yeah, it sounds, it's like Toronto, too. Like, you take the GO train. Usually, most people live in the yeah. burbs. You take the GO train, then you take the subway. It's uh, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, these big cities, you, you can't uh, – yeah, you, it just <laughs> it makes it a lot easier just to take the, uh, the tra- public transportation a little bit there. I love it. I love it, man. I love um, – ultimately, it's a commuter train. It's not exactly the most relaxing <laughs> right. um, ride. But at the same time, man, it, it, you got like an hour and a half, you know, something like between an hour and 15 minutes, depending on which train you're on, and an hour and a half. And it's just time to kind of – sit and think and how often do you get to do that you know how often did you get to do that these days so um I'm, i still enjoy it it still feels like a very old school thing to be doing do you ever bring a book on there or is that too tough just oh, with yeah. everything around oh you do okay good yeah i was gonna yeah, say yeah yeah it's probably a good time yeah, to that's come. that's a prime time to be reading and um I, when i was going into the city more often i was plowing through books i kind of miss that because it, it is an opportunity without distraction really i mean you can kind of tune out the people around you and you can read read as much as you want on the train man it's a good it's a good place to do it we're going to wrap things up here in a little bit and again i want to thank you so much for the time uh just uh looking back at all the long form pieces you've done is there one that stands out to you uh that that you know you really like man that that was like one of my favorite things to do because for me personally I love the Jason Thacker one. That that for me oh, was yeah. just, just going deep on that because uh, all, Tough One was the first. That that's what got me into the sport was watching yeah. that season. And Thacker's actually from British Columbia, where I grew up. So it's interesting. Oh, well, I didn't not, know not, that you grew up out there. Yeah, I, I grew up in Vancouver, so not 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 obviously where he lives, way out north. But I remember when he was on the show, I was like, oh, there's a Canadian on here. He's from BC. That's that's pretty yeah. cool. But uh, is there a personal favorite for you that you're looking back? That one particularly was. Uh, I like that one a lot. For a lot of reasons. One, because intuitively, I kind of knew that that would be the case. I had a, I really had a feeling all these years. I was like, he's disappeared on purpose. You know, I'd ask about him all the time. Nobody knew where he was. I was like, he's disappeared on purpose. Something happened like to him, and he hated it, and he wanted to get away. So, discovering, finding him, discovering his situation, and uh, talking to him, I think that it was. Um, it was a human, it was a human being, it's a human story. So I felt like that that was like a, um, that one stands out the most, honestly. But like, if I'm thinking about which one I I loved in terms of, um, I guess, tying the pieces together and, uh, and figuring it out, it'd probably be, I did one on Douglas Crosby, the judge. And oh, um, it's not, it's not nearly as known. I felt like people like, I think it's because People have such an um, adverse reaction to him. They don't really like him. But it was just, uh, it was a lot, man, because I had to go hang out with him on multiple occasions in New York and always in very strange, strange situations. He's driving me around, um, going to like uh, costume shops. Another time we're in like a Russian spa. 
you know, like we're in a Russian spa, like, uh, and he's talking about, and this is where he finally talks to me about judging. We're in like this hot tub and he's like, and I'm saying, I'm going to have to break my recorder out, like hoping it doesn't get wet. And I kind of feel like sometimes he, he murks up stuff on purpose. Uh, but then there was this whole like fact versus fiction with the, the man, you know, and I, it required every bit of your BS detector to, to get to that. But it also required, um, you know, you know, you had to, you had to, te- you had to kind of treat them sincerely too because i felt like there was there was both of those were in full evidence the whole way and it was just really 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 um bizarre because you had to sift through so many layers and not come across like you got duped um you know what i mean like because i yeah. think that there, there was there was certainly an element of that like uh there was a lot of just strange behavior i had to sift through that i, I decided the way i wrote it um was just kind of pointing out all of that all the quirk and um everything else and just tying all those elements in with with the uh letting this the, the you know the looniness of the situation go its own direction but always kind of bringing it back to some central point i thought i did a really good job on that one to be honest um so i i, I would say that uh that one is my favorite in terms of if i go back and read it i think that that i, I think it was called left in the hands of the judge or something like that mm-hmm. and uh that one was probably my favorite yeah, no, I do remember that one actually. Now that you bring it up, um, yeah, yeah, I remember a lot of twists it, it, and turns in that. Yeah, compared to like I, I did one called the the Eagles of Bettendorf, where I went and visited, uh, you know, the Cats out in Bettendorf and did this big piece about their team right before Robbie Lawler won the title. And that piece I remember was like I felt like mo- the reason that piece did so well is because nobody, I don't think many people knew I was really a writer. I, I just think that all of a sudden I'm like, who, who who's this? You know, that was one of the first ones. And then uh, the Thacker one obviously was like a. Um, you know, that one got a lot of fanfare and there was multiple, I, I was, I mean, I was, <laughs> every day people were like, come on the radio, do all this stuff. It was, uh, that was probably the biggest response I ever got. Comparatively, the Douglas Crosby one came out and I felt like it got maybe a tenth of the attention of those. But I thought, um, I kind of knew it was going to be for a very specific kind of audience. Maybe it wouldn't travel as well, but uh, I, I did think that that one came out really well. Um, what big thing that obviously happened at your site with MMA fighting Ariel Hawani leaving and going to ESPN, um, have things changed at all just with your day to day or things like that? Or does that not even affect you at all? Um, it does affect, I mean, it affects things for sure, because there's been like a, I will say this, I like when he, when he dropped that bomb that he was going to leave, there was, I think some internal, um, <laughs> pondering going on, like, so oh, oh, what does this mean? Because obviously so many people, uh, recognize Ariel Hawani as, um, as the site itself. I think that a lot of people thought he ran it. I think a lot of people thought he owned it. You know, like, uh, you realize that after a while, like I didn't realize how many people were really misguided as to what was going on there, that it was a Vox media thing. It's actually a very big company and a good company. Um, you know, they, they're doing great, but he was a big part of it and he brought MMA fighting to where it is. And I think that people really identified that. So you lose basically the face of the organization, Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though that they've assembled the 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 cast they've assembled there. I always thought it was a really a pretty all star cast, man. I mean, and, and you know, everybody kind of fit a need. You mentioned Sean El Shadi. The guy is very versatile. He can do so much. Luke Thomas with his uh, his abilities, and um, you know, Mark Romandi, and you know, goes on and on. Esther and you know, Casey. Those guys, they're just so good at what they do, etc. All those guys are really resilient, man. And I. I it took a little bit, a couple of weeks, and I was not involved in all the internal discussions as to what, you know, how are we going to handle all this and all that. But 
when I finally kind of heard from the from the rest of the team and I understood, it was a very positive vibe. I felt like people were going to be resilient. There was a little defiance like, hey, man, we're not going to let that define us now. We're going to see how we can fix this. And they went about, you know, uh, you know, talking to Luke, getting him, I guess, to take over the the Monday show. And then um, the MMA beat, I didn't know what was going to happen. People were asking a million times. I'm like, I don't know what's happening with MMA beat. As soon as I knew that that was going to continue, it was, um, you know, it was it was not much. I mean, you can't replace a guy like that. So I guess you just basically you pick up and you hope that um, you fill in on any essential level you can. And there's a, there's other stuff in the works. I don't know if I'm at liberty to really talk about, but there's other stuff in the works that I think will um, also help in that process. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, we'll see. But I, I think over time, uh, it, you know, we'll see kind of how the it really affected us over time. But so far, man, I feel like everybody's been resilient and we've kind of picked up right where, right where we were. I don't really sense that big of a difference, to be honest. When Ariel left, was this something you knew was coming or did this come out of left field? Um, well, I know Ariel. <laughs> yeah. I, was I know say- Ariel really, I, I know him really well. And I think that, uh, I had a discussion with him before it was public for sure. Like it was, I knew maybe a couple weeks beforehand. Um, I just talked to him and I, I know I basically told him like, you know, man, I, the guy, the guy's great. He's been, he's been, he's done everything. Like most of the people in my fighting would probably attribute their, their success in large part to what Ariel, maybe bringing him in, giving him the exposure. That's what he does, man. He's, he's, he's an amazing colleague in that sense. Um, he's, he's always on top of it, man. And I, he says something like that. And you're like, I, I could tell he was, um, very nervous, you know, to be going over there, not because he didn't think he could succeed, but right after he agrees to do it, you know, right after he agreed to go to ESPN, UFC then became a partner with ESPN. And I think he was really worried, you know, that something might go wrong there that he didn't anticipate or um, things like that. So he had his worries, but, uh, you know, he went back and forth and then he, you know, he had a, you know, he was the face of the organization at MMA fighting. And, um, he was very, you know, with everybody involved all the way to the top, he was, um, he's been a big mainstay and he's known, he knows, um, you know, the people at the very top too. So it's like, I think it was just hard for him to do it, but he felt like he needed to do it, you know? And I, he, he brought it up and I, I kind of basically did what he did, you know, he did for me, um, at uh, multiple times I told him like, you know, man, you got to do what you, 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 if it's your dream to be, to go to ESPN, you got to follow your dream, man. I'm like, you got to do it. You can't, you can't let other people be, um, you can't let other people kind of dictate what you should and shouldn't be doing. And I felt like, um, maybe I helped him in one little way to kind of feel better about it. But, uh, uh, I had to be happy for him in the end, man. It sucks when you're a teammate of his and the stuff like that, but you have to be happy for him in the end because, uh, and it seems like he's doing great over there, man. Like, so yeah. I'm like, um, you just gotta like guys like that. You got, you know, if they get an opportunity, you just gotta say, Hey, best of luck, go get it. You know? As we wrap things up here, what's the best advice you could give anyone watching that, that wants to do what you're doing? Uh, you know, being a long form writer, what advice would you give? I would consume every piece of, um, you know, read as much as you can, but consume, if you want to write long form, for instance, if you want to write features, read tons of features and tons of long forms and see what you like about it. Like think of it from a construction standpoint. How would I put something like this together? And just do that, man. I mean, honestly, like, uh, I, you're going to have to practice and you have to make sure you got a good story. A lot of people want to just throw, uh, I'm going to write 7,000 words on a story that deserves maybe 700, you know, 
Yeah. That's not a long form. That's just a, you know, I don't know what that is. The internet is full of that kind of crap. And I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. Make sure that you're, you have a story, but then also, um, be well, know what you're doing. I guess that that would be the whole thing. And I, I my, my big suggestion, honestly, is just know the public. Like if you're trying to get into it, know the place. If you're trying to write a big feature for some specific place, know their style, know what they like, you know, know the, know the outlet first. And if the outlet seems like a perfect spot for you to do something, then make sure that you, uh, you know, your story. And, um, and the way you do that, honestly, like I, I tell, just like you're saying with Kareem, man, I'm like, read as much as you can, because I believe if you just soak in, you know, a million things, you soak in a million articles and you just keep reading them, eventually you feel like you know how to do it. You know, um, I know it's not the same, but it certainly helps, man. It certainly helps to, to read a lot. And then just basically keep practicing. Just keep, keep hammering the keys, man. Get like a journal where you, you're the only one who will ever see it and just pound in that thing is daily. I've done that for years and years. I'll just get in there and just dump mine, you know, just whatever comes across and what's been happening and et cetera, et cetera. And it helps, man. Like just stuff like that. You just start to form habits and um, you start to see things differently. So just keep, keep doing it and, and read. That's some great advice. And uh, Chuck, this was awesome. It's always good talking to you, man. Uh, next time, hopefully you'll be over drinks. Are you coming to Toronto in December for the UFC card? Because I know you came to I Toronto last time. I think so. Yeah. I usually make the Toronto one. So uh, yeah, if, if I don't see you sooner, man, I'll definitely see you. Are you, gonna, are you coming to MSG? That's the question. In my what, sorry? Are you coming to MSG in November? Oh, MSG. Uh, that, that's, I, I got to look. I'm in the process of moving. Um, so, uh, okay. I, uh, yeah, that, that might be a little difficult, but I got to twist, twist the wife's arm a little bit because if McGregor's on that okay. card, how, how do you miss that one, right? So. Oh, for sure. Well, I'll see you there if that's the case. But otherwise, I will see you in Toronto, man. And I appreciate yeah. you having me on, man. This is fun. Yeah. No, it's good. i getting some good insight there. Um, just remind people, anything you want to plug, anything you got coming up, uh, any social media you want to get out there, uh, the floor is yours, sir. Um, I mean, I'm not much for plugging, but I mean, bottom line is that you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the only, the best place to find me is just at Chuck Mendenhall. It's just my name. So, um, come say hello over there. Perfect. And, uh, everyone, uh, we should be back next Thursday uh, with another edition of the MMA industry podcast. I want to thank all of you for watching. Follow me on Twitter at Lynch on sports, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone for watching. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.